Hi there, I'm Stefan Eady, Assistant Head of School for Academic Affairs, and welcome to the Darlington Podcast. Today, I'm here with Pre-K-8 Director Hope Jones, and we'll be talking about the power of play. Thank you for joining us today, Hope. Thank you, Stefan. Welcome to the Darlington Podcast, a production of Darlington School in Rome, Georgia. Join us as we take a look inside and outside our classrooms and connect with students, teachers, alumni, and more. So you have done um, a lot of uh, investigation on the concept of play, uh, particularly probably as an educator of younger children, and have uh, also presented at conferences on this topic. So uh, play seems like a simple concept, and so we're gonna go into it deeply here, or deeper than maybe most uh, give it some thought on. I, I'm wondering, to begin with, what is it that made you go deep on the concept to begin with? Why, why did play uh, catch your, your uh, mind? Uh, and your thinking as an educator. Well, thank you, Stefan. Um, well, you know, play goes back really to my childhood. Um, I was very fortunate to um, grow up in a neighborhood that had a very healthy play environment in which um, we had a strong sense of community in our neighborhood. And I really spent almost every waking hour of my childhood um, running around that neighborhood, developing incredible friendships, working through some interesting um, hardships and challenges and problem solving. Um, and uh, so it's just always had sort of a special place in my, um, in my heart um, and very fond memories um, of, of growing up in that neighborhood and the kinds of games and things that we played. Um, and as I sort of transitioned into my adult life and into parenthood, um, I began to sort of uh, find some challenges with parenting my own children and the fact that I think I had some guilt that I wasn't really providing the same sort of play environment that I grew up in. Um, and to give just a little a backstory, I grew up in the South, I grew up in Alabama, um, in Huntsville, Alabama. And um, when after I was an adult, married, we moved to the West Coast and my Children um, early on were um, primarily, especially our daughter was raised um, on the West Coast in Los Angeles and, and our son up until he entered fifth grade. And, um, you know, as I tried to relate things to them and talk to them about my own childhood, I was coming to realize as a parent that they really weren't experiencing those same things. Um, they weren't running around the neighborhood. They weren't playing a game of tag with, with uh, the kids that lived on the street. Um, but I worked very diligently as a parent to make sure that we were making it to music lessons and that we were making it to baseball practice and softball practice and soccer practice. Um, and my busy schedule just sort of afforded the fact that um, I sort of created the schedule for them. And um, as I sort of continued um, to worry about those sort of things, um, I started to investigate the kinds of skills that I learned as a child um, and started to really um, read books on it to figure out um, what were those sort of life skills and life lessons that were learned from just playing in my neighborhood. And um, so that sort of led me down a pathway to really look a little deeper into the play environment that I had created um, for my own children and how I could sort of um, really work towards um, changing the course and the pathway for them. 
Yeah, our backgrounds are probably similar because I remember growing up and I would leave the house as soon as I could in the morning and I would be back at dinner time. Absolutely. The, the parent across the street who could whistle the loudest brought all the neighborhood children back to their homes. Um, and uh, it was great. I have nothing but great memories there. Um, and you, you could probably talk about lots of reasons why that changed, but I mean, it certainly was motivated if, if it's changed in the last 30, 40 years, you know, how parents um, try to construct that play experience. It must be motivated by good reasons. I mean, what, what changed? I mean, why did a parent, why do our parents today try to control that play a little more than they used to? Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. I think in, in some regards, it's maybe a, a fear of our children not being able to be involved in as many things and as many experiences as they can possibly have. Um, you know, I, I think, for example, when I was a child, um, I grew up playing sports, but I played sports in my own neighborhood and in baseball fields and softball fields and soccer fields that were right there in my own neighborhood. I didn't have to be driven to practice. You just jumped on your bike and you went. Um, and I think some of that has shifted um, a good bit. And, you know, I think there's um, there's something said to that. You know, I remember I remember playing outside and if you had conflict, um, you know, I remember you never went home to tell mom about your conflict for fear she wouldn't let you go back outside again. So you just had to figure it out. If you weren't getting along with one of your friends in the neighborhood, um, you just had to figure it out because going home to ask for adult help in, in that particular case would normally end up in a situation where uh, you wouldn't get to go back outside. So, you know, I, I remember, you know, I think back to, you know, my own children and even the children on our, you know, that in, in, in my division, you know, even determining who gets to go first in a particular game. You know, we just had a, a system back when I was a when I was a young child. You had a system for who got to go first. You know, whether it was any meeny miny mo, whether it was hot potato, you know, whatever it might be, you figured out who who was going to be the first to go in that game, and you really didn't argue about it because the more you argued, you were wasting time to get to play. Um, and uh, so, you know, I think of of all the games that we organized ourselves as children, we never had adults. Um, you know, I, I remember trying to explain to both my children um, the game of kick the can. Uh, which I think in, in some ways has a lot of similarities to manhunt that, that our children play. But um, it was sort of interesting to, you know, you would head out and um, the way the rules worked in, in our neighborhood is we all had to be home 30 minutes after the streetlights came on. So it was okay. referred to as dark 30. You had to be home 30 minutes after the streetlights came on. And there was no argument to it because you wanted to go out the next day. So, so you just came home and, and that sort of thing. Um, but you learn to problem solve and you learn to share and you learn to work through arguments and, and you, you, you work through conflicts that you had with other, um, with other children your own age, also those that were younger and those that were older and so on. And in, in doing that, I sort of I, I went back to look at sort of how, how do we kind of value that. And two particular um, resources that sort of stood out to me um, as an educator and as a parent uh, one is referred to, or one is called Play, which I highly recommend. It's uh, written by Dr. Stuart Brown. Um, it's a beautifully written book of really talking about um, sort of the importance of play, how play shapes our brains, how it provides skills uh, that we need, um, that we need in our academic career, in our socialization, in our work careers. Um, it's just, it, it sort of outlines some of the importance there. And then another one written um, actually by a professor that works in the Child Development Center at Tufts University 
um, is is called The Power of Play, and that's written um, by Dr. Elkin. And that's another incredible resource that I sort of highly recommend um, to, to our parents. But it sort of is that, that idea that, um, you know, those of us that are sort of from, from my generation, um, you know, we, we, we kind of muddled through the puddles of life, you know, together as, as, as we were sort of um, engaging upon that. And um, now we've sort of fallen into a pattern of sort of taking our children from one thing to the next. Um, and, you know, I was trying to actually explain to some students in, in, in the classroom the other day, you know, um, and, and, and these are students that, that have sort of grown up with the idea of a play date, um, an organized play date. I never had an organized play date. I had a hard time really trying to figure out what, 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 how would my mother have organized a play date for me? I couldn't even wrap my mind around how that would happen. Um, there was no such thing as an organized play date. Um, you just kind of created your own play dates. Uh, whether you're just meeting out in the street on the manhole or, or meeting down at the end of the dead end or whatever it might be. And so trying to figure out what is a play date and uh, what does that look like and who plans that? Uh, and what do you do at the play dates? Uh, I, I remember uh, when, when my uh, son was really young, this is before we had moved actually back to the South. And I remember my son saying that he just didn't think our house was big enough for a play date. And I thought, wow, how big does your house have to be for a play date? Um, but obviously he'd go to other houses, I guess, and, and thought, wow, they have a bigger house than us, so we want to play at their house. Um, so it's sort of that idea. And so I, I, I started to, sort of work through some resources and, and sort of document, at least personally, um, what those skills were, sort of the problem solving skills that, that I just sort of learned naturally, that an adult didn't really have to teach me. Um, and started to look at what was missing maybe um, in our students' lives and in a lot of our students' lives, because I, I sort of go back and I, I think about, you know, Einstein, and, and he has a great quote that says, play is the highest form of research. And I think that's so true, you know? Um, I, you know, I remember, I remember when uh, the first time I, I took uh, one of my children to the Lego store, this is when like Lego developed their own store, believe it or not, Legos were sold in places other than the Lego store before that, but uh, they wanted to buy a Lego kit, you know, that comes with directions, uh, of whatever this is that you're going to build. You know, and I remember having donations of just tubs and tubs of Legos, and I remember Specifically, one of my children saying, well, we'll need to donate those to the Salvation Army. And I remember saying, well, why would that be? Well, that because that doesn't come with like a manual of what to build. And I thought, oh, wow, wow. They think these are all spare parts that there's, you can't build anything with. Um, you know, and that was sort of an eye opener to me as a parent. Um, when I first moved back to the South, with uh, to Darlington and my son was in the summer after fourth grade about to enter fifth grade. I was so excited. I thought, this is great. He's got a great campus. He's going to be able to run wild, go have fun. And I remember saying, this is awesome. You can just go out and play. And he heads out the door. And I mean, we're not five or 10 minutes later and he's back. And I thought, okay, wait a minute, what are you doing back? And, you know, I remember Charlie said, well, what, what am I supposed to do out there? 
you mm -hmm. know? And I said, well, just jump on your bike or skateboard, just go play, go, go run around the neighborhood. You know, and it, and it took all summer for, for him to really sort of understand what sort of unstructured play looked like. Um, now, there did come a time we eventually got to a point where security had to bring him back. But that, you know, at least I knew he understood what play meant at that point. Um, but it sort of made me start to look at what does recess time look like? What is break time? We were sort of at a point here at Darlington where we were looking at the schedule and uh, looking at uh, really overhauling the schedule and was the schedule set up to be conducive, you know, and that kind of thing, uh, to what would be a healthy environment for play. And um, so it, it looked like the perfect time to sort of, um, to some degree, sort of reinvent, re reinvent ourselves. Is, um, there, is there a balance to be struck here um, versus maybe you and I grew up a little more freewheeling uh, these days, parents, have legitimate uh, interest in in raising their children. It might be safety. It might be uh, expanding opportunities they wouldn't right. normally take advantage of. Um, it may be ambition. You know, you have to dot these things. You know, check these things off your list if you're going to achieve a certain other thing on another list, uh, which are all fine. Yeah. So is it a, is it a balance that you saw in like some of your research? Is it a balance you think of with this, or yeah, how does that work? I yeah, absolutely. Um, it is absolutely a balance because you, you want the children to have some opportunities that they would not normally have on their own, and actually some things that they're going to struggle to find on their own. Um, so absolutely, there there has to be there has to be a balance. Um, and, and, and that opportunity of, uh, of understanding, I think, you know, we, we talk about the fact that, uh, you know, we try to be weary of kind of over-programming our, our children, uh, but we want them to have opportunities at the same time. We want them to try things at the same time. And, you know, that's one of those things that we, we have had to find a balance with, you know, especially, you know, in pre-K-8 division, we want the students to have some opportunities to try some things, um, to see if they like them, uh, to see where they make connections. Um, but then we also do understand that there comes a time where they narrow down what those things are. Um, and, and that became sort of important to the process. And so one of the things, as we were sort of working to, to restructure sort of the schedule um, and take opportunities to look at, um, you know, where our transition times are and those kinds of things, um, we started to look for opportunities where we we build a schedule in which there is there is a chance uh, or an opportunity between each what we would call a class or a course um, to have some downtime. And that downtime looks different depending on what it is. It may look like recess. It may look like break time. It might look like a club period if you're if you're an older student. Um, it might look like an exploratory. And, and so we looked at places in which um, we sort of provided what I would call indoor and outdoor play, um, chances to do both of those kinds of things. Um, so that you're really sort of giving an opportunity to expose some children to some things that they would not be able to naturally find on their own, that develop those problem solving skills, um, such as exploratories, but to do it within um, some structure within the schedule. And so that was sort of the birth of, of the exploratories that we actually start with pre-K and we actually do exploratories all the way up through eighth grade. And then when we get to upper school, um, they sort of change names to an I period and become something, um, something else as well. But it was that I, I, 
that opportunity to really bring play into the mix, but also opportunities that they can't find on their own. Um, and we're, I guess we're at this point, five, six years into our exploratories. Uh, but there is a balance, absolutely. You know? So we, we have, we talk about skills-based curriculum here. Uh, and you mentioned earlier that there are certain skills that a child learns in their more self-organized play uh, versus more adult regulated activities, skills in both. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe talk a little bit, I'm interested in like those skills, back to those skills that students might, or, or, or children or whichever, whatever, you, right. whatever age they may be. Whatever age they might be. Uh, that they are gonna learn on their own, through their own trial and error. Um, and then uh, how you see the, the school, and, and the school day is very structured and regulated. Like, how, how do you, how, it sounds like you may be trying to incorporate those skills into that day. Right. Um, is, that, is that right? And Absolutely. Maybe some, maybe some examples of how that, where you see that happening. So sort of looking, you know, in, in the connection that we sort of make when, you know, play obviously sculpts the brain. Um, absolutely. It, it allows for those sort of neural connections um, to take place. And it, it really provides sort of new cognitive connections um, in a lot of ways and sort of allows for us to mix. You know, it's kind of interesting because if you really look at it, work and play have one piece that connects. When you look at work and you look with play, and that's, that, that applies to adults too, not, not just children, but when we look at work and we look at play, creativity becomes a pretty common bond between those two things. And as we're, as we're sort of looking at that, we're looking at the idea that, that if creativity is something that is a common bond between work and play, then why is that the case? Because one, it allows us to develop new relationships it allows us to build new things within our world by combining those two things. It allows us to have those sort of neural connections that are necessary. Um, so understanding that it isn't work or play, it's that they actually, they work together. Um, it's sort of a symbiotic relationship that can take place there. And um, so it's understanding that sometimes within that classroom setting, that although you're, you're creating an environment in which you may be teaching new skills, and there is some structure to that, um, that you have some flexibility in sort of um, creating some flexibility for the students to navigate that um, within a healthy environment. And so when we think about things like that, we think about some of the projects that we have. We think about some of those opportunities to sort of extend lessons that we're doing. You know, whether it be, you know, whether it be Wax Museum, which clearly has, it's a perfect example, which I know we've talked about before in other podcasts, but it's a perfect example of where, yes, there is some structure, and then there are tentacles that go off into other elements of play involved in sort of navigating that particular person that you might be, you know, um, sort of emulating and that kind of thing. But, but we see the same sort of thing um, to some degrees in, um, you know, we've had a variety of things with storytelling festival um, in the past. We've had certain elements of a science fair. Um, we've had a bug explo. Um, we have some opportunities for that. Well, um, like when you think about a fifth grade science fair and you've got a group working together. So you're in a very structured environment. That group is doing their negotiations and navigating who's going to do what. 
Um, and you know that's happening in a controlled situation. And in fact, we've done a lot of um, professional development on uh, brain-based learning, and mm-hmm. like you were talking about, um, sort of the neuroscience of things. And, and and I think I can't help but like draw a correlation. That you're talking about students on the field now. You know, the adults may be off on the hill, making sure no one's getting hurt, or you know, if they're crying, they can intervene. But still, they're deciding who's going to be on what team or another. They're doing a similar sort of negotiating, but they're doing it on their own. And you would think that that those neural pathways are just being reinforced and developing even more. And so you're doing them in both cases. Kids are transitioning or transferring, sorry, the, the knowledge from one to the other. Well, it's kind of interesting that that um, that you're making that connection between those two things. And the reason why is because, to be honest with you, we have a play personality. We have roles in which we develop in play. Um, I, you know, the other catchphrase used to be cooperative learning. We, you know, there was a time where we were always talking about cooperative learning. Um, cooperative learning wasn't something that was new. We just gave a different name to it. But, you know, when you're thinking about that, the students absolutely are outside in their play environment or even indoor, you know, whatever it may be, um, in which there is a play personality. We each take them on, you know, you've got your joker, you've got your director, you know, you've got your storyteller, you got your competitor. You, you have all of these roles and all of these roles are important. Um, they're all doing a particular task. Um, and sometimes if you can stand back and sort of watch that unfold, you will see that some students will navigate within um, play personalities that obviously is, is their dominant, sort of their dominant role that they play, but they also start to dabble in some of those other roles. And that's exactly what you see kind of when, when you have things going on in the classroom that might be around an academic topic. Um, and that kind of thing, but you'll have them sort of playing to what that play personality is that they have that's kind of characteristic. And Dr. Stuart Brown talks a good bit about that in his book um, called Play. He talks about those play personalities. Um, And that is something that is not taught by anyone. It's from those experiences that, that students have had. Um, And it's kind of interesting. You can sit back and you can observe it happen. And we as adults, all have a play personality as well, you know. Um, but it doesn't mean that play has to be something, you know, I, I sort of think about the example of, um, you know, thinking about the example of a particular, let's, let, let's say you're a runner, you know, which happens to be something that, that you are and, and that I am. You know, there, there's a way to look at it. We can be, you know, sometimes we're running just for the exercise of it. Sometimes we're preparing for a particular um, competition race or, or something where we're trying to maybe improve a time. Sometimes we're running for the socialization of it, of interacting with someone else. There can be different modes within that in which sometimes running is an example of play and sometimes it's not for us personally. Um, and that works the same way for the students. Um, and that's why it's important that we build in those kinds of opportunities uh, within our academic day. And obviously we're wanting that to happen outside of school. So um, in, in our students' um, family lives and in their social lives and that kind of thing as well. Um, but that idea that um, work does not work without play. I mean, you know, it's sort of that idea that they go hand in hand. They're, they're a part of that, that piece to it. Um, so how, how do we navigate, you know, probably maybe thinking more of the adult perspective here, whoever may be listening, probably parents in particular, um, of this structured time and then transitioning to unstructured time. So, 
you know, you and I are sitting here, we, you know, Darlington employees, and we care about our students, and we're trying to provide a good experience for the for them and their parents. Um, and then we we reach outside those boundaries, like homework, for example. Um, so we just want the most for our students. So how how do you balance that homework time that starts to take up even more of that student's time and maybe takes away from their play time? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the kind of one of the first um, exercises um, that we did back when we were really kind of restructuring the schedule as a whole is, you know, we went through a shadowing project as a school, you know, where the um, adults, many of the adults in the school shadowed children to sort of have a sense of what it felt like um, to sort of work through a day. Um, what does it look like the night before you shadow? What does it look like after school and in the evening after a day of shadowing? What is it, what is it like to be a student here and sort of experience that? Um, and we were able to sort of take that feedback um, and really, really raw data and sort of look at it and figure out where we on our end as, as uh, the educators and the, and the position of the school to sort of make some adjustments and make some healthy changes where we created a schedule that was conducive to that, um, which is sort of where the birth of the even and odd days came from um, and that sort of thing. But, you know, one of the exercises that I went through as a parent, uh, which I obviously had a, you know, had an advantage to, to working here as a school administrator, as well as being a parent, because I could look at it from both of those perspectives, but sort of creating what the schedule of it, I took one of my children um, at the time and created like, what does their schedule look like from the moment they get up to the moment they go to bed? What does that look like? And where can I, um, as a school administrator, make some adjustments? And where can I, as a parent that involves more of the evening, make some adjustments? Um, and that was a pretty healthy exercise for me to do as, as a parent, um, to really see places in which um, I personally had overprogrammed uh, my own child. Um, thinking that, yes, I'm wanting to give every possible opportunity um, of experiences, but realizing that there were some choices, some healthy choices that needed to be made. That's, that's a good tip, you know, for, for a parent to try to take a moment to reflect and look at the schedule and just see, like, uh, are we overdoing it? Are we underdoing it? Uh, I think about times like we have, we have breaks, a break coming up, Thanksgiving, holidays are coming up. Uh, we may have parents who are thinking about what are we going to do over those holidays? I mean, what's, what's, what's the tip there? Uh, we may have teachers assigning some work. We may not have any teachers assigning work. We may have students who are ambitious and are worried about exams or final projects. We may have parents who are worried about that or thinking, oh, there's just lots of this time that we have available. Let's make the most of it. All right. I mean, how do you how do you sort of take a moment to see if we're just maybe doing too much? Yeah. Well, probably one of the best ways to do that is as a parent to self-evaluate your own play. Uh, because we, we generally, when we stop long enough ourselves as the adults, um, that uh, sort of help to, to foster the environment that we want our children um, to sort of grow up in, is a lot of times to stop and reflect on ourselves um, and to have that opportunity. And, and, and one of the things, you know, sort of one of the pieces of, of homework I would give parents is to sort of work through that play history, is sort of think about 
you know, what is your own play experience like? What were the things that you enjoyed as a child or, or the activities and the memories and the traditions as you bring up the holidays? That's a great one because there's so many traditions um, and families um, around that. And a lot of times we end up over-programming because we're trying to fit everything in. Um, and so, you know, that that's a, that's a great exercise for us to stop as the adults and sort of look at places in which we can... Um, bring play back into our own adult life and we do it naturally filters over to our children yeah um and that's that's such a great reminder well it's tough because i i do believe that our culture is one that more is better let's <laughs> just do more and if that's good let's do some more of it um and it may be hard to kind of just put a pause on it you know maybe okay to be quote bored for a while although i don't remember the last time i was bored but I do remember the, uh, many times being like, I wish I had a little more time yeah. to do some things I was interested in. You know, I think one of the things as parents that we we worry that our children are going to be left out of something or, you know, if we don't provide this, then they're not going to gain that uh, kind of thing. You know, and it's, it's you know, one interesting um, example that, that I sort of have is um, thinking of, thinking a real application of, of where play um, is really, uh, was pretty, powerful and important um, in the workforce is sort of, um, there was a time back in sort of the late 90s, kind of early 2000s, um, that the, um, that we had a lot of our engineers, a lot of our folks were sort of retiring that had been a part of sort of what I would call the space age um, and the space race and that kind of thing. Those engineers had aged and were kind of retiring and being replaced. Uh, by young new hires and um, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL, out in Pasadena, that's um, a part of uh, the California Institute of Technology, uh, was sort of in an interesting position as they were trying to replace these retiring engineers. And so they were hiring these young engineers out of MIT and Stanford and, and other uh, top engineering programs. Um, around the world. And one of the things that they were finding is their uh, problem solving ability was an interesting challenge that was very different from the retiring engineers. And so they sort of really kind of stepped back and really looked at what, why was that? What, what skills did those engineers that, that were sort of retiring um, what skills did they bring to the table? And so they kind of went back and looked at the kind of um, childhood play that they had had. You know, whether it was dismantling a clock, um, dismantling a radio, um, really doing a whole lot with their hands, just investigating um, the, the world that they lived in um, and the, the world that they sort of engaged with. And so what they sort of found from these new hires um, is that they were sort of a generation that had been raised sort of on the Lego kit, um, you know, of sort of very much interested in certain pieces to it, but staying very in the box and in the execution of that. And, um, and so really what ended up happening by the time we got to about 2005, JPL had changed their hiring process and a part of their application um, and interview process was taking a play history of their candidates. Um, of these young young engineers that were applying for work. Um, and so it really sort of changed the tie. Play became very important to the kind of sort of upbringing they had had and experiences they had had in sort of unstructured play because they really felt that it created problem solvers. It, it created 
uh, folks that really had some grit and resilience uh, that they were not finding um, early on. And so it sort of was a great reminder, at least to me as a parent and educator, you know, that sort of going back to the idea of really looking at play and what does play do for us and how are play and work really so inner intermingled there and sort of woven together with the idea of creativity is we're sort of hitting the best of both worlds. We're sort of preparing them for the future in which they're going to be working in. Um, and so that's a piece of it that, that I think is sort of important is just a reminder to us what they are going to miss out on and what they're not going to miss out on uh, by the decisions that we, we make and the encouragements that we have for the students. Yeah, this has been an interesting connection to me. You know, we push a skills-based curriculum here. You know, we're very methodical, but then you think about, oh, there are skills that students can learn that aren't just sort of structured in, uh, in, in experiences created for them. And, and active learning we talk about as being very important here, but obviously if children are playing, you know, and they're engaged with each other, they're very active. So that it's, it's great to see that learning is happening there, and it's a balance. Um, and... Um, and so I think that uh, especially maybe this time of year is a good time to be thinking about play as we're, like I said, we're entering the holidays soon and maybe it's a good, good podcast for, for those parents and even educators to be thinking about making sure we give our, our students enough time uh, to have that opportunity to find their own ways of uh, learning uh, actively. So uh, yeah, thanks for your time today and sharing. And we, we, you mentioned two books, um, the Dr. Stewart, Brown wrote a book called Play that you referenced, and Dr. David Elkin wrote a book called The Power of Play. We'll add those to our show notes. Yeah. Uh, and I assume they probably got some great resources and uh, references for parents who are maybe looking, uh, as we all are, to continue getting better. Um, and, um, and that's great, so I appreciate your time yeah. today. Well, let me sort of leave you with this thought. Um, play is called recreation. So if you think about it, play is called recreation because it does make us new again. Perfect. So it recreates us and our world. So, Thank you again for being on the podcast today, yeah. Hope. Thank you, Stefan. And we're glad that you tuned in to this episode of the Darlington Podcast. And tune in each week wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe. You can check out today's show notes at darlingtonschool.org slash podcast. And if you have any questions about today's programs or ideas for a future episode, send an email to communications at darlingtonschool.org. The Darlington Podcast, a production of Darlington School in Rome, Georgia, is a collaboration between the communication, advancement, and IT teams, and the intro music is student-produced. See show notes and hear more episodes at www.darlingtonschool.org podcast.